Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10. Tonight, I want to teach a lesson entitled, The Devil, an Introduction. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, here's our verse. He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 18 again, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Verse 12, this is our verse again. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows that he has but a short time. The devil, an introduction. Let's have a quick word of prayer again. Lord, we love you. We honor you. For a few moments, God, as I minister and teach, let this lesson open our eyes to see things maybe we've never thought about, but at the same time, Lord, to confirm in our hearts what we know to be true. You've given us victory through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world that knows very little about demon power, and I think that is because we know so little about the devil. It's not often that you turn on the radio or television or hear a message that directly addresses who the devil is. But in the world we live in today, we need to know that you cannot have evil unless you have someone as wicked as the adversary. For somebody like Idi Amin, a very terrible dictator of an African country many, many years ago, for someone like him to live on this earth, was for the devil to be on this earth. For someone like Adolf Hitler to walk the streets of Germany, it's for the devil to get up every day and dress himself and live in this world. For a man like Stalin to starve thousands and thousands of his people for no other reason other than the fact that he was angry at them. That's the devil alive in a human person. I say again, we live in a world that knows very little about demon power because we know so little about the devil, but the Bible is our textbook. It gives you all the information you need to know about the adversary. So in a world where there are evil things that are taking place every day, it's surprising the number of people who cannot perceive that Satan stands behind many of these events. 
Somewhere behind these events, he's lurking in the shadows. The adversary, the accuser of the brethren, as the scripture calls him. Now, John pulls the curtain back in the book of Revelation, and he makes visible something that had been unknown. A war that had taken place up in heaven. Scripture makes it very plain that a rebellion was put down. Satan and his angels were cast down to the earth in order for them to deceive millions. That's why they've come. They were thrust out of heaven. They thought they could revolt against the the great and almighty God, but they didn't have power to deal with him. But have you ever thought about the fact that 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says, even Satan transformed himself into an angel of light. He can become something other than he is. His appearance, that Satan and the demon spirits are better actors than, than I'd say the Oscar and Emmy recipients that people applaud every year. The devil knows how to transform a person's mind so that they'll begin to think things that are not true. It's the deception that comes in. And if you don't believe that people worship the devil and believe in him today, just a few days ago, there were a number of witches that gathered together in order to have a big assembly to put a curse on our current president. It was the night of the crescent moon. They said there are three more crescent moons that are coming up. One, I think, is March 26th. There's another one, I think, sometime in April. But every time there's a crescent moon, these witches are going to gather together and try to work their spells. Folks, you need to know that kind of a thing only works for people who are fearful of such things. We're Christians. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We do not live by fear. We're not worried about witchcraft, sorcery, or black magic. If somebody were to come to me and tell me they were involved with voodoo and somebody's trying to put a curse on Pastor Darrell and they had a dowel and they were sticking needles into it trying to cause me pain, I think I'd laugh in their face. Because God has given us power. The scripture says, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. Now, Paul goes into this with a little more detail. Second Corinthians four, verse number four, it speaks about how the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those, lest the glorious light of the gospel break forth. How many people in this world would never consider that the devil is the God of this world and that they themselves, even though they do not serve God, they serve the devil. They would say, I am not a slave to Satan. They have no idea that the blindness of their, of their, their spiritual life ensures that they're enslaved to the devil. See, any position that a person takes, if they're not born again and they're outside the kingdom of God, whether or not they're shaking a fist at God, or blaspheming a church and speaking evil of Christians, if they are outside of the kingdom and refuse to adhere to what the scriptures say, their lifestyle puts them in a position where it's, an host, it's a hostile act against God. And he interprets it as such. They become an enemy of the cross. The God of this world has blinded their minds. You try to talk to people about the gospel and you can't quite understand why they can't get it, why they won't believe it. The God of this world has shrouded their minds with darkness. Paul goes so far in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 to say that there's a prince of the power of the air that worketh right now in the children of disobedience. There are folks that disobey God 
have no idea on this earth that they are operating under the power of an evil spirit. If, if you don't believe that there's evil in this world, that there are evil spirits guiding and directing and manipulating people, ask yourself, why do teenagers get in a car and drive past somebody's house and just shoot indiscriminately at anybody standing in the yard? It's a spirit of murder that possesses them, that drives them. What is it that causes someone who gets into a, a fit of, of anger and can be so mad that they could just strangle a person to death and never have a conscience about it when the psychologist or psychiatrist try to interview them? There's a spirit that gets inside of people. Some of you may remember many years ago, say many, not too long ago, maybe five or six or so down in Florida, there were people calling the police department, highway patrol saying, please get out here very quick. We see a man out here on the highway. He must be on drugs or something, but he's holding another man and, and he won't let him go. And he's laying there and he's biting the man and he's chewing on his face. And when they got there, they found out the man had basically took, pulled him in, snatched the man out of a car, basically beat him till he was near unconscious full of drugs and every other kind of a thing you can think of. And when they got there, he chewed off the man's nose and parts of his skin. What drives a man to do that? There's something spiritual that's behind that. There's a wickedness there. In Europe, some years ago, there was someone who wanted to die and they wanted to post it online. So they set up a camera in their home and had somebody kill them online. Think about that. When it was all over, the police got involved and there wasn't a whole lot they could do because the police said we don't have a law that says you can't have yourself killed online. That's a depraved mind. The devil comes along and this is what he's doing. A spirit of disobedience producing children of disobedience. Now all of this begins back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. It all starts in the first book of the Bible. God took Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, gave them power and authority, said that they could go anywhere they wanted in that beautiful garden of Eden. He said, you can eat of any tree that you want to eat of. But this one tree, please stay away from that. That's mine. Don't touch it. It's not for you. But the scripture says in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent, more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. How do we know that's the devil? Revelation calls Satan that. The great dragon, serpent, serpent was more subtle. He was crafty, somewhat ingenious, man. Uh, the thing had intelligence. And the scripture says, he said to the woman, did God really say that you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, the devil knew God, knew exactly what God said, had heard what the Lord said to Adam and Eve. But despite that knowledge, he still sought to deceive God's finest creation, mankind. Psalmist asked the question one time, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God loved us so much he gave his son. Of all of his creation, we're the ones that when he made us, he said, this is very good. See, something about us that, that is different. The adversary understands that his primary way of bringing grief to God is to attack mankind. He knows that. If I can go after mankind, I'm going to bring sadness to the king of kings. He knows that. How does he do it? The first thing he does is he instigates a question. He raises a question. Did God really say 
that you would die, that you couldn't eat of every tree? Now, it's questions like that that begin the process of backsliding for many people. They start questioning whether or not this is really what God says. The moment a person begins to wonder whether or not this book is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God, and begin to question what God has placed within these covers, I can promise you they're on the road to going in reverse. There's no doubt about it, folks. God had told Adam and Eve clearly. They heard the word plainly. But here comes a serpent. And the serpent asked them a question. Immediately, they should have turned and went the opposite direction because they know they're hearing a voice that's contradicting what God has told them in authority in the Garden of Eden. But Eve listened. She listened and she was deceived. Now, atheists and apostates, they rarely consider that the thought that comes to them concerning the word of God is oftentimes implanted in their minds by the devil. That's where it starts. Unbelief. It comes with that question. Here's somebody upset with God. They serve God as long as their wife is alive, as long as their husband is alive. They lose a child. Something difficult takes place. And then all of a sudden, here comes the question. Well, I thought God loved me. Where is God in my trouble? Billy Graham, a lot of years in his youth, he preached across this nation. He was an evangelist at large for the organization called the Youth for Christ. He held a lot of revivals in America. He preached five and six weeks in different places. But he had a, a, a fellow preacher by the name of Charles Templeton. This man held a lot of meetings across Canada, North America. Saw a lot of people come to Christ. In fact, he was a better preacher than Billy was. This man saw people run down the aisle to give their hearts to the Lord, weeping and crying. But right there towards the end of World War II, if you wanted to know what was going on with the troops overseas, you went to a movie theater. In the movie theater, they showed pictures of the troops fighting abroad. He was sitting in that theater and he's watching the pictures of the soldiers that were going, taking the beachheads. And he saw the images coming out of the Holocaust. Thousands, thousands, and thousands of Jewish people had died. He sat there in that theater looking at those images. He began to weep and he began to cry. And he thought to himself, how in the world can God be a God of love and let this kind of calamity take place? He thought about that and molded over so long till he backslid totally from God, walked away from preaching the gospel, denounced the Bible as the word of God said. It was filled with legends and superstitions. And when he died, he was renouncing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Started with the question. How can God let this take place? It's a question people battle with every day, but I'm telling you right now, long before the Jewish people went through the Holocaust, there were people in this world that had other problems. There were a whole lot of Armenians that died in World War I. Yeah, millions of them. Let's not forget about slavery, folks. But that doesn't mean I need to turn my back on God. Let's not forget that during the famine over in Ireland, there were thousands of people that died of starvation because of that famine. Then they started trying to make their way here. But that doesn't mean Irish people can't serve God. Let's not forget that during the Crusades, there were a lot of, lot of people that turned and were attacked and, and brutally raped by these mercenaries sent out by whoever in the world it was in Rome at the time, telling them what they were doing. They were doing in the name of God. People might say, where was God? I can tell you where he was. He was on that throne wondering why everybody is letting the devil manipulate him. That's, that's what he's wondering. 
For somebody like Genghis Khan to walk this earth, that was for the devil to be able to use somebody and manipulate them. And across this earth today, when you look at the kind of despots and the kinds of, 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 of uh, leaders that we have, the tyrants that do wicked things, oh my, the adversary, find somebody in whom he can live. The devil knows if he can raise the question and get you to reflect on it for just a little while. He can cause you little by little to backslide away from God. He doesn't stop there. He asks you a question, but then he also provides you an answer and he gives you additional insight. He mixes the lie with the truth. Look at what he says here in verse number two. The woman said to him, we can eat of every fruit of the trees, but of the tree which is in the midst. God said, you can't touch it, neither eat it, you'll die. Verse four, listen to the serpent. He said to the woman, you shall not surely die. That's a lie. God said they would die. Verse five, for God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, the scripture says that the Lord said, let us make man in our image. That means when mankind came forth from the hand of God, created by God, they were already in the image of God. But the deception of the adversaries, he causes people to believe that through disobedience, they can become godlier. He knows if you eat of the fruit, you become as God. You're already like God, is the situation with Adam and Eve. And around the world, we see this. In the church, we see this. The devil teaches people that you can live in transgression and you'll still be Christian. I mean, after all, Jesus, he, he was very loving. He didn't. Criticize he didn't condemn. If you live together outside of wedlock, that's not going to be bad. Here comes that voice. Is it really true that God's word means what it says when it says it's good for every man to have his own wife? See? It's good for a man not to touch a woman. But if he's burning, it's better for him to marry than to burn. The culture of the world says absolutely not. You can live any way that you want. Who are you to tell me? Every man ought to do what's right in his own eyes. Like I heard one Hollywood actress say, she said, it is crazy to expect human beings to live in a marital relationship with just one and one person. Monogamy is not something that's natural to people. I heard an actress say that one time. She said, we ought to be like animals. You ought to just be able to have relations with anybody that you want. That's deception. That's the adversary. The devil comes and he plants a thought in the mind. Pretty soon the thought takes root in the heart and then begins to manifest in a person's life. The habits, the customs. You know, there's a very popular film, and I enjoy it myself. It's a little cartoon for kids called Madagascar. Oh, yes, I just love that little cartoon. I'm telling you, them lemurs, they, they are my friends. I'm telling you. I enjoy that. But, but, but those are the animals. A lot of folks don't know about the people of Madagascar. Those folks there, a good many of them, still practice ancestor worship. That means that when a mom or dad or a grandparent passes away, they take that body to a grave and they put that body in the grave. And they've got all kinds of prayers that they pray to different spirits. But a year later, about the time of that anniversary or one of those holy days, they go back to that gravesite and they dig that body up. They exhume that body. 
They unwrap that body. And then they take that body and they redress it and they hold that body and they begin to talk to the spirit that they think is in that body. And then they wrap that body up in a new cloth and then the family carries that body throughout the streets of the village, talking to the deceased, allowing the deceased to see the new buildings and the improvements that have been made. Then they come back, they put that body in the ground again. What leads people to believe that that could be true? Deception. Adversary, I believe, created religion to keep people from ever finding God. I believe that. There's a lot of deception when it comes to that. So even though the Adam and Eve story is true, we know that. We can never forget that after they transgressed God, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. But even though they were kicked out of the garden, the devil was not destroyed. He was not eradicated. The devil appears here and there throughout the Old Testament because he pursued man with an evil intent. Let's not forget the story of Job. Remember that one? Scripture says that there was an appearance before the Lord. And it says the devil came and took his place amongst those appearing before the Lord. God asked him a question, not because he didn't know the answer, but God said to him, Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and fro on the earth, just looking for somebody I can bring trouble to. Now, here's what God said. God said, if you consider my servant Job, righteous man, this man Job was wealthy. He was wise, so holy, loved God so much that he would go and offer sacrifices just in case his kids had sinned. He didn't even know if they had sinned, but just in case, he said, I'm going to offer sacrifices to my God. Now, that's an intercessor. That's a father that loves his kids. He says, I'm going to pray for them, even if they don't have sense enough to pray for themselves. And so this is the man that's become an example. And the scripture says he was the greatest man in the East. <clears throat> and God says to the devil, have you considered Job? He said, yeah, I thought about him, but you've got a hedge a protection around him. But he said, I tell you what, God, you let me attack some of his property and some of his family. I'll bring that man to his knees and he'll curse you to your face. He'll never serve you again. God looked at the devil and said, you're a liar. Liar. He said, you take your best shot. He'll still be standing. You know the story. The devil went and brought a big, huge storm, and the, the homes of his kids and everybody just blew up. I mean, things just disappeared, and some raiders came from an adjacent country, and they came and stole all the cattle, and I mean, one runner after another was running back and forth to the house to say, Job, there's trouble on the horizon. Another came and said, Job, there's trouble in the land. Another one came and said, Job, there's trouble in your home. I mean, buckets of problems, raining problems. You would have thought Job would have gotten mad at God and said, well, you say you love me. Why is this taking place? You know what Job did? Job got down on his face and he blessed God. That's what he did. He said, all this stuff doesn't mean anything that I've had. Don't tell me he didn't love his kids. I'm just telling him he got down there. He said, I came into this world naked and I can go out of this world naked. But blessed be the Lord God. Scripture said, never sinned with his lips. 
Well, I mean, he went through all of that. And of course, his wife was sad. The devil reappeared in the presence of the Lord. And God said, where you been? He said, you know me, I'm, I'm looking for a job. He said, I, 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 I've worked on him, but I'm telling you, I'm just about ready to push him over the edge. You let me hit him with an affliction, some sickness. He won't even serve. He won't even mention your name again. The devil said, you are protecting him, but I'll kill him. I'll torment him before he dies. The Lord said, you're a liar. He said, you can do what you want, but you can't take his life. Oh, the devil, he clapped. He said, I'm ready. He hit him with boils. And if you've ever had one on your body, like a big blister filled with pus, the crown of his head all over his scalp, all over his body, down up under his feet. It would hurt to stand, hurt to roll over. Talks about how he took pieces of broken pottery just to scratch himself. He was using all of that. And his wife looked at him and <clears throat> all of that pain and agony. She said, you're tormented. How in the world can you keep your integrity when God's letting this happen to us? Why don't you curse God and die? Listen to what she said. Curse God and die. Here's what he said. You sound like a foolish woman. Now the psalmist said the fool had said in his heart there is no God. Here's a woman's relationship with God that was exposed. As long as she had position, influence, <clears throat> affluence, wealth, all of the children, all of the homes, the, the cattle and the money, it's easy to serve God. She said, oh, he's a good guy, but she doesn't have that now. And she's just married to a sick man. And she's watching his friends come from afar and they don't look like they've got much more wisdom than he has right now because they're saying there's got to be some sin in your life or you wouldn't be having these problems right now in the first place. And here's the thing. Job continued to worship God. And when you get to the end of chapter 2, it says, in all these things he never sinned with his lips. Now here's the point. Here's a man that lived close enough with God, had such a strong and vibrant character, that God could brag on him. Think about that. Could God say that about you? Could God say of you, if he was in conference with the devil, could he say of you, you take your best shot with these young people, I promise you. No way on this earth they're going to leave me. That's the, that's the question. The devil comes to try to turn people against God the gospel accounts give us one story of another of demon spirits attacking people physically, blind spirits, deaf spirits, spirits of infirmity coming against people. The story of Job shows that the devil is real. First King 22, there's a king by the name of Ahab. He's ready to go to war against the Syrians and he calls Jehoshaphat and he says, Jehoshaphat, will you get in league with me? Let's go fight a battle. Jehoshaphat says, yeah, we can do it, but I think we need to get a word from the Lord. If you have any prophets around here that can tell us what God's mind is on this, whether we'll win or lose. Ahab said, yeah, we, prophets, we got prophets. My wife, she's got some on staff that, that we pay, yeah. 
So he brought in all these prophets and he said to the prophets, we're going to fight against these folks. What do you think is going to happen? They said, man of God, go up against them. The Lord says you're going to prosper and all is going to be well. <laughs> Jehoshaphat looked at that motley crew of prophets. He said, surely there's got to be somebody else around here that can speak for the Lord. Ahab said, I do know somebody else, a guy named Micaiah, but if, if I bring him, he never, ever says anything good to me. Jehoshaphat said, you need to get that man, bring him over here quick as you can. So they brought Micaiah over there and the king Ahab said, look, Micaiah, we're getting ready to go to battle. He's not going to go with me unless we get a word from the Lord that says victory is coming. What do you say? Micaiah looked at him and said, look, go ahead. All your prophets have told you you're going to win. Go to the battle. Run to the victory. As holy as you are. Ahab said, see, I told you. He mocks me all the time. I told you he wasn't going to speak the truth. He said, Please tell me the mind of the Lord. Here's what Micaiah said. He said, you want to know what God says? He said, King Ahab, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He said, I saw all of these people come before the Lord and, and a voice came out of the throne and said, who will go and speak to King Ahab? He said, somebody stepped forward, a spirit stepped forward and said, I'll go and be a lying spirit. In the mouths of all of those prophets. And he said, those lying prophets are the ones that have deceived you and told you you'll go to battle and absolutely win. I'm telling you, if you go to war, you're going to run home with your tail between your legs. That is, even if you live. And a false prophet walked up to Micaiah, punched him in the jaw, said, well, tell me what manner of the spirit is this that just hit you? Micaiah said, because of that, you won't even have to worry about the end of the war because before it concludes, you'll be dead. Think of that. See, A lying spirit inside prophets. That shows you that in the Old Testament, people were possessed and manipulated by evil. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? It said they jumped up on the, the, uh, the altar and, and they were shouting bail, and they took sharp stones and started cutting themselves till the blood ran down. There's always a lot of blood mixed in with that witchcraft. There's a lot more to it. First Chronicles 21 tells about Satan provoking David and leading David to, to number the children of Israel. And David's problem in that regard was that he was trusting in heads and counting numbers rather than relying on God. His general said to him, Please don't number the children of Israel to try to determine how big your army is. It doesn't matter the size of your army. Just trust God. He's helped us hitherto. David said, no, I need to know how many. Send the people throughout the, the land to find out. He found out and God was angry with him. He said, because you've done this, you've got to choose. There's going to be some bad stuff that comes in judgment. That demonstrates over and over again that you should rely upon God. Don't get nervous about how many heads are in church. How many dead presidents are in your wallet or your purse? Don't be concerned about how much property you own, but make sure your confidence is in God. You get it in people, you'll find that you're going to be allowing the devil to mislead you. Well, there's another occasion, Zechariah 3, verse 1, where Joshua, the high priest, had an angel on one side and Satan on the other, which shows you that the devil, if he can, he will get involved with ministry to bring deception but I want to move on to something else. 
The Genesis narrative is foundational to Jesus' understanding of the devil. Jesus believed the devil was real. He believed that. Doesn't matter if the journalists deny it. Doesn't matter if your parents deny it or a friend deny it. If somebody says on social media they don't believe in that, or if a preacher gets up in the pulpit and says, I don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And I don't believe there's a devil. See, if he says that, you hold to what Christ says. Jesus gives us more insight in Luke chapter 10 than some other people will ever really be able to understand. And I read the verse to you again. Luke chapter 10, verse number 18. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus said, I saw him. So Jesus knows him. He understands his characteristics. He recognizes his manifestations. I saw him. This is why Jesus was able to cast him out of people. He could recognize that's a manifestation of the devil. Jesus saw the devil and the scripture says in that same verse that he fell like lightning. Now, you know as well as I do, lightning flashes quickly. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing when you see it, but, but it, it, it's quick. I mean, split second, lightning appears, then it's gone. That, that's why the devil fell. That describes the manner in which he fell. It was like he tried to cause a rebellion in heaven against God. And it's like God just turned around and just boom, socked him into another world before he even knew what was going on. It's like somebody getting ready for a fight and then they've got a glass jar. One shot and it's over with. The devil didn't even know what was going on. That's why he's so mad, angry. Who in the world is he to think he can go up against God? Nothing compares to him. Like lightning, God made short work of him. And then you can see from whence he fell, from heaven. Now this last verse I want to give you, John 12, verse 31. And here's what it says. Now is the judgment of this world come. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men unto me. Now we know that the devil was not thrown out of planet earth when Jesus made this statement. Because even in the book of Acts, they're casting out devils. We know that. But this is making it very plain that at this point, disciples in Christ are going to be dealing with that devil in a way that he's never been dealt with before, expelling him, casting him out. If you read the stories of the Old Testament, look at every place where the devil is mentioned. Look at where there's wickedness and witchcraft. No one ever in the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, cast out a devil. Not one person ever expelled a demon spirit and told it to come out. Of somebody. They knew it was real. They knew this stuff was real. But yet Jesus comes and Jesus tells the disciples go into the villages two by two, heal the sick, cast out devils. He says to the 70, Luke chapter 10, go into the villages, preach the kingdom of God is coming to you right now. I know the kingdom is coming one day. But the kingdom of God comes whenever a believer shows up. I know the devil's going to be cast out and thrown into a bottomless pit one day. But as of right now, he can be cast out of people. Come out in the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says we have power over him. I've got too many stories of these kinds of things, but I always think about that time I had gone to Cairo, Egypt. <clears throat> I had to go out of the country of Jordan because of my visa. After I'd been in six months or nine months, I had to renew it. And so I had some friends in Cairo and they said, Daryl, why don't you come over with us? You can even preach for us while you're here for a few days. I said, I think that'll be great. So I went over a weekend. Some friends asked me to preach. I preached uh, a message out of Philippians. And after the message, since I was in Arabic school, I, I, I had an interpreter because I was just learning, but I was good enough to talk to some of the people and converse with them that were coming up for prayer. So I had a line of people here. There was another line of folks over here. He's dealing with them. I'm praying with these folks here. And I noticed he left and went back, I guess, going to the restroom or somewhere. So I one by one laying hands on people, praying for people. The line is moving. It's moving. There are hundreds of people in that place that night. But then I get to this old man. He steps in front of me. He's pitch black. I thought he was Sudanese, Ethiopian. You know, you look into somebody's eyes. Their eyes are typically green, hazel, blue, something like that. His weren't like that at all. Just milky white. Pupils had no color at all. That man reached out there and grabbed me, lip, lifted me straight off, off the ground, about four or five inches, however high it was. My feet were dangling, and I was terrified. This old man had me and was shaking me like this in the air. How can an old man lift somebody up like that? I mean, I wasn't a, I'm not a big guy, but I was still, you know, 180, 185 pounds then. Well, the people in the church obviously knew who that man was because pandemonium broke out and they tried to build a door in every every four or five feet of that wall. You know, people just running in every direction trying to get away from him because they said whenever that spirit would rise up in him, he would just start attacking people and breaking stuff all around. him. Well, he's got me. <clears throat> you get in a situation like that. I couldn't remember one scripture. I couldn't remember anything. The only thing I knew was that I need to shout the name Jesus. That's, that's all I could remember, and I did. I shouted the name of Jesus as loud as I could, and then I just brought my hands down, broke free from that old man. He turned and started running up that center aisle, and Daryl was right behind him. I ran behind that old man, and I grabbed, like a football player, I grabbed both those legs, locked him up. He went down to that ground, and I turned him over, put my hands on that head and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him right now. Well, God healed the man. I told that story one time. said, so how do you do something like that to old man disrespecting old people like that? I said, I'm not disrespecting any old man. I'm disrespecting that devil. I told him to come out of him. We had a move of God there in Cairo during that time preaching Christ. All I'm saying to you, that you may come in contact with people that are full of the devil. You've got to be ready when that happens. I remember a Sunday morning service in Red Cloud. I had preached several messages, kind of like what we dealt with today. Woman fell out in that altar having an epileptic seizure. Had a bunch of medical people in there, so I had them come around. I told that church, I said, this is what we're going to do. I said, I said I'm going to shout, come out. Then I'm going to say in the name of, and I want you to shout Jesus with me simultaneously. I want you to shout as loud as you can. When I say in the name of, 
everybody shout Jesus. I mean, she's down there shaking, with putting stuff, make sure she don't choke and swallow her tongue and all that kind of stuff. And I said, in the name of Jesus, everybody shouted Jesus. I said, I command you to stop all this shaking. Come out of her right now. In the name of Jesus, everybody kept shouting. She stopped. I told the nurses, take her back there to that Sunday school room, check on her, see what's all this about. If she needs to go to the hospital, take her where she needs to go. She didn't go to the hospital, and she didn't have any more seizures either. All I'm telling you is sometimes what we're dealing with is not medical, it's spiritual. You deal with schizophrenia, multi-personality people. Generally, if this stuff doesn't respond to medication, you're probably dealing with the spirit. You're probably dealing with the spirit. And sometimes you've got to be willing just to stand there and just kind of whisper and say, in the name of Jesus, I tell you, you better come out of him right now. Come out of her in Jesus' name. It doesn't take a whole lot of noise. The power isn't in the volume. I'm just a loud person. But if you, if you whisper, the power is in the name of Jesus. Whosoever, call on that name. I believe that in this world there are people that probably have lost their vocal cords. But in their heart, they called on that name. Oh, Jesus, in that heart, and found that God's a healer. Don't be discouraged. Believe that God's put something inside of you that's greater that is in this world. Let's stand. You didn't know you were a physician's assistant, did you? That's what you are. You better believe it. I wish I could take you on some of my trips with me when I'm sitting on that airplane. Yes. You didn't know Pastor had so many jobs, did you? They said, what do you do? Oh, I'm in agriculture, sowing seed. How much do you farm? Oh, my, I tell you, plant a lot, you know, just a lot of stuff we're doing. What's your occupation? Oh, I'm, I'm a defender of the law. The law. Well, what's your, what's your specialty? Well, I did civil law, criminal law, doesn't matter. Just, it's all covered in what, what we have to do. What's your vocation? I'm a PA. Are you serious? I, I, I have had a cough for a little while here. You able to help me? See, all of that. Folks, God has put something inside of you by giving you the word. He has. Lift them hands toward heaven. Father, take these hands and use them for your kingdom. I pray, Lord, when we lay these hands on sick people, that they would be made whole. I pray that crooked bones would be made straight. I pray that when we come in contact with people, Lord, that when we embrace them and hug them, that wounded spirits and broken hearts would be made whole as your love flows from us into them. Father, take these hands and let them bless young people, and elderly people. And Father, use each one of us for your kingdom. Help us to be strong witnesses for you on our jobs, in our homes, and in the marketplace. These things we pray for in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone say, Amen, Amen, Amen.